you have your digital bulletin or even your Bible, which most of us should have our Bibles, either physical one, the printed one, or um, one on your phone, please turn with me to 1 Samuel. I'm going to be reading from chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter, excuse me, verses 24 through 42. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. Verse 24, So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear, his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food from the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up to the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Central. Welcome again to another one of our live stream services. And um, yeah, wow. Uh, For those of you who are guests with us this morning, my name is Omari Hill. Um, I am one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central. And uh, for those of you who have received my letter, you know that this is my last day as an assistant pastor at this church. And... um, I have 
a new appointment, a new call. And if you've got that letter, you can see the details on that. Uh, we'll be just down the road. And uh, for those of you who were here, uh, let's say several years ago, when I led the RUF campus ministry up at UNC Charlotte, um, my relationship will be sort of like that, you know, where uh, my work and ministry will be in a different part of the city, but our family will still be here at Christ Central. So this isn't a goodbye, but it's a change in our relationship. And there's so many people, of course, that I could thank. Um, I hate that this is happening in the midst of COVID and, you know, we've got to be apart from each other. I'd much rather be able to talk to so many of you face to face and, uh, and give hugs and, uh, and laugh without worrying about, you know, things coming out the mouth and possibly making you sick. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm confident that that time will come and I look forward to that. So we're not leaving. Uh, in fact, the session is already giving me an invitation to sort of be a guest of the session. And we're going to take a year to consider that. Um, just need a year to kind of focus on obviously some new changes that will happen for our family and also be able to focus in on this call um, as a chaplain and a Bible teacher at a school, high school, just down the road. And um, but it's wow. Yeah, there's um, so many of you who have already written to us, texted my wife, texted me. Uh, called me, um, sent emails, thank you. And I know I haven't responded to each and every one. And frankly, some of them have been so profound. <laughs> I've just been like, I don't know um, really what to say. And uh, I need to just, I need to pray over this before I respond because they're just how heavy and meaningful your words have been. So, um, but thank you. Thank you for allowing me into your lives for three years. Thank you for allowing me to walk beside you. Um, it's an honor to serve in this church. We love this church, love Christ Central. And, um, you know, really before the Lord, um, you know, I don't deserve, you know, anything special. All I've been doing is serving him and serving him through you and for you. And it's just a pleasure be able to do that. Everything that we sung this morning about God's amazing grace, it just really says it all. You know, how can we not give everything? How can we not serve the Lord knowing how much he gives to us constantly, every single day? Um, so thank you and praise God. Um, if you try to email me at ChristCentralChurch.com, I may not get back to you pretty quickly, but I also provided in that email, my personal email, so you can reach me that way. Uh, but like I said, I probably won't use that church email again uh, for probably a year. So, um, but we'll still be around. And I'm still available for like weddings and bar mitzvahs, <laughs> uh, you know, funerals and all that sort of thing. So uh, again, it's just like what I did when I was with RUF. So um, praise God, praise God. Look forward, for those of you coming to the outdoor service this evening, uh, we'll be there as well. So look forward to seeing you there. Socially distanced, virtual hugs. We'll do virtual hugs. Let's turn our attention again to God's word. Um, as you know, we've been going through 1 Samuel and hope to go through 2 Samuel as well. Um, I look forward to hearing what God has in store for us in the, those remaining chapters. But today we continue, uh, we wrap up this mini series within that series on friendship. And so we're in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20, and we've been looking at this friendship, uh, the friendships that, that David and Jonathan have had with each other, and also where uh, Saul has played a role in that relationship as well. Pastor Josh brilliantly brought us through, uh, um, you know, Saul's role in a lot of, a lot of that relationship. And, and as we examine our own lives, we have Saul's in our lives, you know, what we're supposed to do and what God may be calling us to do. And then yet last week and this Sunday, we're looking at Jonathan and David specifically. You know, and the, the world has had an incredible struggle with COVID-19. You know, we've had to decide where to get food. We've had to self-quarantine for 14 days. Some of us have had to do a lot, a lot of video conferencing for meetings and for classes, and that's not over, right? And... 
it's tough too, just trying to check up on loved ones because we have to do that through video or by phone just to make sure that they're okay. But it's been stressful. And we've heard a lot of journalists and others refer to this time that we're going through as a war, like we're fighting against a disease. It's the war against the coronavirus, this novel coronavirus. And I think that's appropriate because war is very stressful. I mean, what we're going through is stressful, but yet it's, it's manageable for a lot of us. We found out ways to cope, still trying our best. But it's also stressful for those who are on the front lines where the challenges are so great that loss seems inevitable. Healthcare workers trying to keep people alive, public officials trying to keep our economy and our education afloat, service workers doing double duty, right? Double time just to keep food on their table. That's the front lines. The war on COVID-19 has front lines. And frankly, honestly, if we think about it, so does all of life. All of life has a frontline aspect to it. It's the times that we're facing something or someone that is greater than our skills, something that is greater than uh, uh, that uh, our stamina or even our faith can handle. Times when something so dark and looming is just ahead of you and try as you might, you know that loss at some level is inevitable. Today we're looking at David, and David was clearly in over his head. Now, it wasn't too long ago that he had defeated Goliath, and he had taken those five smooth stones and got that slingshot, and depending on whether you're picturing Veggie Tales right now or whatever, Storybook Bible, you know what that is, right? And he got, he got those things, and he, you know, and he killed Goliath. But now he's on the front line of life, and he's facing a giant that he can't beat. He's facing a giant that his stones, his slingshot, and his faith can't even take down. He's facing the king of his people. His own father-in-law is out to kill him. And so he goes to Samuel, who's a priest. Samuel was the guy that anointed David. Samuel was the, the guy that came, was the representative, the emissary of God who, uh, who, who came with prophetic energy and established David's future as the king of, of Israel. And he went to Samuel and Samuel couldn't keep him safe. Now, we don't know if it was because of his age, right? He's just like, Samuel's just an old dude at this point. But, but also, you know, this is the king. He's got a whole military at his hand. And if you remember what Pastor Josh had preached through a couple of weeks ago, you look at that incident, you see that what happened, you know, Saul went there and he, he shows up where David is hiding with Samuel and then uh, the spirit comes upon him. He ends up prophesying and then he's, this is embarrassing, sort of weird thing happens. You know, all of a sudden Saul's naked, right? Or we don't know what's that all about. Uh, and, he, and he's prophesying God's word, but that only lasts for a little bit. So that gives David just enough time to get out of there. But then the word tells us that after that, while that distraction, if you will, was happening, David runs away and he goes back to the royal city and he looks for Jonathan. He runs to his only hope, which was his friend, his advocate. And he says, there is but a step between me and death. There's what a step between me and death. See, when there's a step between you and some impending loss, you need a true friend who will help you survive. When you're about to lose your job, when the doctor says your loved one's health is not looking good, you're on the front lines. When you're facing a breakup or, or divorce, when you finally realize you have an addiction, or your childhood trauma is catching up to you, you're on the front lines. See, it's, it's nice being close to other people that have common passions, right? That have sympathy, as we talked about last week. It's nice being close to those kinds of folks when there's peace in your life, when everything's going pretty well. But what about when stuff gets hot? 
See, this, this reminds me of that old song I was in. Uh, lately, you know, um, Sharice and I, we like to listen to 90s R&B every now and then. You know, we're in a good mood. It's just like, all right, let's just put that on. And I was listening to one, one song I remember by, uh, you know, those sisters from Hotlanta, TLC. Remember them? And they had this song, What About Your Friends? And, and, and it, yeah, and that, that, that chorus that they would sing, and it said, you know, what about your friends? Will they stand their ground? Will they let you down again? Uh, are they going to be low down? Will they ever be around? Or will they turn their backs on you? Like that, that chorus is real catchy. But those are great questions. Because there are some people who are with you because of what they can get. There are some people who hang around you and will we even serve at some level waiting to get something from you. But when they see you in a hard place on the front lines, they're quick to cut and run. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They won't return your calls. They won't send a card. They won't even send a praying for you text message, right? You, you mention it. You mention what you're going through. And they say, and they just simply say to you, I, I, you know, like, you know, you're like, hey, why, why didn't you send me something? Why didn't I hear from you? Oh, I didn't know what to say. But when David came to Jonathan, Jonathan didn't really know what to say either. However, he does say, David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Whatever you say. I will do for you. Now, granted, that's a risky thing to say, right? To say that to your friend who's in trouble, hey, whatever you need, just tell me, I'll do it for you. That, that, uh, that's pretty risky. What your friend says next could cost you, but that's the whole point. Friends sacrifice for each other. Users give and take until you're no longer useful. Jonathan was invested in David for David's sake. So if we really think about our society and, and some of the friendships that, that you've had, you see how radical this kind of relationship is. To have someone in, invest in you for your own sake, right? just, just for you, uh, so, so that you won't be alone when hard times come, that's a blessing. I mean, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So how do we know? When we have that kind of friend, how do we know if we are that kind of friend? So we'll look at that and we'll also see uh, how, how such a risky friendship can actually endure. So we're going to look at that. We're going to answer this question of how do you know if you have that kind of friend? How do you know if you're that kind of friend? And then how can that risky friendship actually endure? So. If you're that kind of friend, are you willing to risk your reputation? If you have a friend like this, a friend like David is to Jonathan and Jonathan to David, they are willing to risk their reputation. Look, let's look at this. Because when you look at this text, you see that Jonathan puts a lot on the line for David. Look at verse 2. He says, uh, and he said to him, Jonathan said to David, he said, he said to him, far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without dis disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So clearly here, as we see, Jonathan has a good rapport with his father. Right? And some of you have children. You trust them. You love them. But how often do you let your children into your decisions? Right? How often do you tell them what you're about to do? Right? Saul could have said, you might be prince, but I'm still your father. Right? But, but, but Jonathan actually believes that Saul has taken him in as a confidant, which is actually true, even though he was hiding his plans for David from him. But nevertheless, 
Jonathan had a substantial level of status with the king. This was his father. And Saul trusted him and would, would let him in to his business. So David comes up with a plan to help Jonathan witness the truth for himself. Because Jonathan doesn't really have any reason at this point to doubt right, what his father is up to. And we didn't read this, but earlier on, Saul actually makes a vow to his son. He says, you know, I'm not going to touch David, right? Not knowing that Saul has broken his vow. So David comes up with this test. Okay, you got to see this for yourself, man. You got to, all right, here's, here's what you need to do. And you see that in, in these verses, you know, I think if you go into, um, we didn't go into this either, but if you look into, you know, like verses 12, going all the way through, 17, you see the, the test that David comes up with. But here's the thing to notice. It's good. It's good when a friend actually believes you and is willing to see for themselves. Jonathan believed David, right? He said, whatever you ask, whatever you need, just let me know, right? Instead of your pain being trivialized or, or made to believe that your troubles are all in your head, friends believe you, right? They don't say, come on, there's no such thing as systemic racism, <laughs> right? Come on, your boss didn't really harass you. He was just playing around. You know how he is, <laughs> just being playful, right? Come on, you don't need a therapist. You just need to pray more. Just exercise your faith. But Jonathan doesn't trivialize David's anxiety, but he accepts his request knowing that it could possibly put him at odds with his own father. Many of you have had real anxieties about um, your, your, your children being left to themselves on the front lives of life. And not just your children, but other children in the world. And as you looked at other kids in the world that, that weren't yours, right, that weren't yours, some of you, you actually adopted them. You believed their struggle. And you got in the trenches. Some of you have adopted cross-culturally, not for an award, but for love's sake. And for the same reason, all right, this is why some of you have married cross-culturally. And the same reason why some of you have joined a church like ours, which is so unlike the faith communities of your own culture, of your own cultural heritage. In either of these things, in either of these cases, you have had to put your reputation at risk. When, when you've had to voice the anxiety of your child, when you've had to voice the anxiety of your spouse or your fellow church member within your circles, you actually took the chance of someone thinking less of you. And that's what friends do. They advocate for each other in difficult times, even if they have to lose some street cred. Say, for friends, silence is not an option. It's just not. All the, all, but we, you know, we've made strides. Like, and we think about all these different things, the, the, the adoption and the marriages and the friendships and being in this church together, all that stuff. We, we've made a lot of strides and praise God for that. It's good. But we still have to ask ourselves, who are we using in our relationships? Who are we not willing to take an L for when it counts? Jonathan gets hard. He gets, he gets hit pretty hard for David. And look at this drama again. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's pretty nuts. All right, so look again. Uh, verse 24, we'll start there. This drama is ridiculous. So, so David hid himself in the field, right? This is what they agreed upon. This was part of the test, right? Hey, look, David, go out there and hide. And, you know, I just depending on where that arrow lands, you're going to know whether it's safe for you to stay, come back home, or you need to get out of Dodge, right? So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. And the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Now, the new moon feasts were pretty common in the life of Israel and also in the ancient Near East. It doesn't mean they were like worshiping moon gods or something like that, but it was a way to, to give thanks to the Lord for each new month. And so, um, you know, with, with Saul heading this thing now, it had become 
a nationwide thing, a nationwide occasion, right? And so he had this big feast. It's a new moon festival going on. So he would expect his whole household to be there. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Okay, so, you know, when there's any feast in the name of the Lord, it was common to do, go through some ceremony to make yourself ceremonially clean. And so David's not there. Saul's thinking, okay, maybe David, maybe he was unclean. He's got to take care of himself before he comes in here. Okay, he's doing his duty. Okay, but the second day comes, right? On the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go. For our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. Because his brother was the head of the family at this point. And it was common, too, for families uh, in Israel to have a, a sacrifice, you know, give sacrifice and have a feast before the Lord once a year. So this is, this is plausible, right? But we know that Jonathan is lying. He's lying to his father right, to kind of figure out what's going on. But this is, this is pretty plausible. So he says, yeah, he says, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he's not come to the king's table. Okay. And then, verse 30, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of the, I mean, that's terrible. Do I, mean, you do, I, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Right? I mean, it's just like, what is the whole deal about mother's nakedness? He's like, look, you know, frankly, like, I know how you got here. I saw your mama naked, right? She and I, we slept together. That means, like, Jonathan, you forgot where you came from. Like, well, how are you going to say this? Like, well, who are you talking to? Right? So, and then, it, then he says, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Now, Saul was kind of mistaken, obviously. Like, he's they're still thinking, like, there's a hereditary thing happening. You know, I'm king, and therefore, you know, Jonathan is up next. But, you know, God had already chosen David to be next. And Jonathan knew this, and he had come to terms with that. He was fine with it. But Saul's still trying to manipulate his son and thinking, you know, okay, you, I, you, come on, you gotta, you about to lose your, you about to lose your status, right? You about to lose your reputation, and you're bringing shame on your family. Straighten up. Now, you remember when your parents were clearly irritated when you asked them for something, <laughs> and they gave you a clear answer, but you still had to ask another question. <laughs> you, know, you know what your parent did after that, right? So if Jonathan had had a true friend in the room, they would have been like, yo, Jonathan, just shh, man. Yo, don't say nothing else, man. He just called your mama out and everything. Just, yo, just sit down, right? <laughs> sit down. But this is what Jonathan does. Verse 33, but uh, he, he's, verse 32, then Jonathan answers Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. I think Saul was pretty done at this point. What do you think? I, I, I think... I mean, the, the, the man, just, he just cussed his son out in public. He cussed him out bad. And then, and then he, he accused him of, he accused Jonathan of bringing shame on him and bringing shame on his family. And if that wasn't enough, he tried to kill him. Like right there in front of everybody. And nobody's stopping this. Nobody's jumping, uh, nobody's jumping in there. Even, even, you know, some commentators say that this was common behavior for kings during that time. Right? This was somewhat common in the ancient Near East for kings to do that. When they felt that their th throne was being threatened, they'd just take people out. And it doesn't matter what your relation is. Right? But it, and then we see in this, this story that even Abner, 
Uncle Abner, you know, he's sitting over there in the corner and he's just kind of like, he's apparently fine with the whole thing. The commander of the army, he, he didn't step in. He didn't try to stop the king from killing his own son. You know, when I, when I looked at this scene, I, <laughs> I was kind of thinking like Denzel Washington, like in glory, when he's sitting there, you know, in the corner, he's just kind of like, you know, Jonathan just forgot the duck. That's all, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, this, what, what's going on? So, but Jonathan was so mad that he wouldn't even eat for the rest of the day. He was done. Now get this. The scriptures say that he was enraged, not only because of how his father had treated him, but because Saul disgraced David. Right? You got to catch that. Jonathan felt terrible for his brother-in-law. Like when you're treated less than what your dignity deserves, your friend should be appalled and even angry on your behalf. If you've been mishandled by a manager, if you've been manhandled by a boyfriend, gaslighted, exposed or endangered, a true friend should be moved to risk her reputation to stand up for yours because your status as a human being means as much to her as her own. A true friend, let me say it again, a true friend should be moved to risk her reputation to stand up for yours because your status as a human being means as much to her as her own. If you found someone like that, you got a friend like that, hang on to them but not too tightly because friends for the front lines, friends who will be there in your darkest hours are also friends who are willing to risk the relationship. And I don't mean risk the relationship for foolish reasons, but for love's sake. If Jonathan was going to love David, he knew that he might have to let him go. Sometimes helping a friend in crises means that your relationship could change. It, it, may not, it may not mean that you have to help your friend sneak out of Charlotte before they get killed. Um, but there might still be some kind of change. Some kind of change that, that upsets the way that things were. Like when you help your friend who's in trouble get a job, but that means that they have to move. Or, you know, to help your, your friend is just a step away from death because of an addiction or just a step away from death because of a bad relationship or because of some bad habits. And now things have got to get real serious and deep between you, right? Because she might need to go to rehab or he might need to receive some discipline from the elders of the church. It changes the nature of the relationship, right? And that's hard. But if you have a good thing, if you have a good thing, a good relationship like that, a good friendship, you don't want to lose it because it's so, it's so good and it's so rare in this world. But we become closed off and cynical because friends can leave for any number of good reasons. And going through the pain of, of, of saying goodbye to a good friend is, is tough. That's the reality. I mean, we have to look at that in the face. You see it here with David and Jonathan. Look again, verse 35. It says, in the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times, and they kissed one another, and wept with one another. David 
weeping the most. It says that they kissed one another and they wept with one another. David weeping the most. And when it says that David was weeping the most, it's not like Jonathan cried for five minutes and David for 20. It's not like Jonathan was after a while just kind of standing there just like, all right, come on, bro. Just, you know, dry it up, man. You know, come on. Like, we're good. We're good. But the original language, when you look at that, it says that it's saying that David wept loudly. Almost like wailing. It hurt for David to leave his best friend, the one who had loved him as his own soul. The departure was pretty painful. You ever love someone so much that losing them feels like a part of you is dying? That's what was happening here. And if Jonathan wouldn't have helped David escape, Saul would have killed him. What things, what situations are threatening your friends right now? How might God be calling you to enter into that? Are you willing to risk the relationship to keep your friend from danger? And we all know that that's much easier said than done. But, but love bids us to take that risk. And, and, you know, I have to admit that this as I was, you know, I was telling Pastor Josh this morning, I was like, you know, it's a funny thing when you're writing a sermon and all of a sudden the spirit begins to convict you as you're writing it. <laughs> you know, funny thing how God's word does that, right? <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I, I have to admit that this one, this is a struggle for me, right? Because, you know, I've got abandonment issues, right? you know, child of divorce and, you know, hard uh, childhood things that I went through, right? I don't, I don't want anyone to leave me on account of, something that I've done or to, to leave me simply because of who I am. Like, I don't want that. It's a, it, makes, it makes it tough to, to risk the relationship for love's sake. But there, there's a real dilemma here for you and I, as it was for Jonathan and David. If Jonathan had sat on what he knew Simply because he wanted his friend to stay, because he wanted to keep David for himself. Like, oh, no, you know, David, David, we'll work this out. I got this. You know, I got you. I got you back. No. David would have died. Sometimes our inaction, our reluctance to intervene, could mean that something else will take our friend away. Lord knows what that could be. But you see the responsibility that we have to our friends if we're truly there for them? It's risky. So how can our best friendships actually endure these risks, right? From, from where do we get the courage to do what love requires? Hey, you hear this, you know, pastor, that's so hard. That's, you know, I've, I've tried it before too and I've been burned and I've taken that risk before and, and I still haven't recovered. I, you know, I, I look at it, I think, you know, just, just send them to someone else <laughs> and they'll be fine. And then they can return to me when everything's good and everything's peaceful. But we need courage. Where does that courage come from? For Jonathan and David, they looked ahead. To use an old theological word, their love was eschatological. It, it was based in the future. It was based on something which was to come. Their friendship rested on the return for their risk. And so that means that their friendship was an investment. Right? All the risk that they had taken would bring massive results. It would bring massive benefits. But you might be thinking to yourself right now, wait, I thought this wasn't about using each other. I thought this was about, you know, using that money language and stuff. I, I thought this was about, uh, you know, friendship and, and sacrifice. Uh, okay, hang on. Hey, just, just stay with me for a second. Right, I'm, a, I'm about to land the plane. I'm, I'm, I'm ending, this, ending this, this, this talk, this sermon before you this morning. But just, just hang in there with me. So remember that last week we talked about covenantal commitment. 
that that's a, a mark of true spiritual friendship. So we see it here again with these two. We see it here again with Jonathan and David. Their, their investment was not made through in-kind gifts, but it was by renewing a covenant. Right? You don't have this, but earlier in chapter 20, in verses 14 and 15, you don't have this before, you're going to your bulletin, but it says, um, Jonathan said to David, if I am still alive, right, after you survive and when you come into your kingdom, right, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So he was simply just saying, you know, hey, David, I know you're going to become king one day. I know this for a fact because God has promised it. But when you become king, don't visit the guilt of my father on me or on my kids. All right. Now, I'm saying that he was just saying that, but he was also saying a lot more. He was definitely saying that. Right. He was definitely concerned for the, the lives of, of his children. After all, you, you you're the son of the, of the enemy and David's people could have run out there and just say, hey, you know, there's Jonathan over there. Get him too. He's, you know, that's Saul's son. And, and Jonathan was like, I need you to vow that you're, that's not going to happen. If I'm still alive, don't kill me. If, I, if I'm dead and gone, protect my children, protect my family. So he's saying that, but he's also saying much more. Because Jonathan then unpacks this covenant again in verse 42 when he said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Jonathan and David loved one another so much that they wanted their families and their children and their children's children to experience the same love that they had for one another. And he said, though, though we have to say goodbye, may God help our friendship to endure among our children. It, the, these two brothers weren't after what they could get in, in return for their risks, but they were after who they could get. Jonathan was wholeheartedly invested in David for David. And if he couldn't have him forever, somehow they would still have each other through their children and their children's children. And later on in, in the narratives in, in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you get to read, a, you get to hear about uh, this wonderful story between David and one of Jonathan's descendants, Mephibosheth. Beautiful story. If you're not already familiar with it, just hang on. You, you know, you're going to hear about that soon. It's a beautiful story. All the risks that they took for each other would hang on the love and the hope that was there between them through this covenant. All the risk would have been worth it. But in this moment, David weeps loudly. And this matters for you and me because one of David's children wept again many years later because I heard the Apostle John say, poor Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him and she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, wow, see how he loved him. Jesus loved Lazarus and he wept because death took him away. And he and his father love humanity so much that sin and the death that it brings into our lives grieves God. So he made a covenant 
that one day he would make a way so that humanity would have a savior. And he saw that as long as sin exists, there'd always be a step, just a step between us and death. So Jesus stepped right in. And from our perspective, he risked his reputation. The demons mock a God who would die for such fragile and sinful creatures. Right? It seems so weak. Right? You're Lord of the universe and you would sacrifice your own son. You would become like one of these people. I mean, goodness, they can't even be invisible like us. Like, what, what, why are you doing this? You're crazy. You don't deserve to be God. Dethrone this guy. Get him out of here. From our perspective, Jesus also risked his relationship with us. If his love for us meant dying on the cross, then how in the world would Jesus ever see us again? But Jesus made an investment. He made an eternal investment. Not because you and I are so righteous, not because of what you and I have to offer, but he satisfied God's justice on the cross and he rose mightily from the grip of death because Jesus is invested in you for you. Simply because of you. And all of that rests on a covenant that God the Father made with his Son and eternity passed. John says, and Jesus said in John's gospel, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up. On the last day, God makes friends out of sinners and he will not let death have the last word over us. Just like he wouldn't let death end his relationship with his son, God won't let it end for you. The return for God's risky commitment to us and it's a high yield return in his eyes, is simply us redeemed, a new creation. See, Jesus could dare to do what he did, and he still does for us because of God's promise. What greater reputation can one have than to be called a friend of God? What greater relationship can one have than to the triune God of heaven and earth? See, the more that you lean into and invest in God's covenantal friendship with you, the more you are empowered to risk your reputation and your relationships for God. And the more you are able to be there for your other friends, no matter how risky it might be. Okay. And there's one more thing here that we cannot miss. Love this. Jesus said that he promised to raise up all who believe in him. So, if you have a friend in Christ, like David and Jonathan, if that friend is a school buddy, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, a mentor, or an old colleague, and things have changed, or they're gone. You won't have to rely on your children to keep that friendship alive because Jesus said he will raise them up right along with you. The person you're invested in now will be the person who returns to you after Christ returns in his glory. That's a promise. That is based on his covenant. When you risk for friends, in light of the resurrection, the return for your risk is both God and your friends. And with that kind of promise, we can run to the front lines together. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and our griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, we are thankful that from our perspective, you know all things, but from our perspective, you risk, you risk everything to bring us into a friendship with you. And our friendship with you establishes every relationship that we have, especially those that are in Christ. Because we know, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to believe again today. That as we risk our reputation, as we risk our relationships for the sake of our friends, that we can do so knowing that one day you will restore them to us. And we'll be able to walk with them in eternity right along with you in a new heavens and a new earth. God, our friendships here are just the beginning. Help us to believe that today so that we can expend and exemplify a radical love that this world so desperately needs to see so that it might also come in and enjoy friendship with its creator. Our blessed father, whose name is holy, whose name is love. Be with us now, O God. Send your spirit, the one that you have said, as we heard this morning and from the reading in Ephesians, that your spirit is the guarantee, the deposit for your investment in us. You will not let us go. You have sent the third person of the Godhead (laughs) to be with us to dwell with us, to be our friend, because Jesus paid it all. He made a way. Thank you so much for your friendship, God. Thank you for what you've done and what you continue to do. Hold us in this dark hour. Would you see us through? And would you bring to us and help us to be friends for the front lines? In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.